there are all these space tourists who have flown in to watch this amazing event. And so it's always funny to see people who are, who are so excited about this thing <laughs> that you're, that is very intimate to you, but to them, you know, this is like a bucket list, like Super Bowl kind of event. You know, they cannot wait. Some of them are wearing t-shirts with my husband's face on it. And then we're over here, the family members of the crew, very quiet because we're nervous and we're scared. The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. This is a show where we look at a person's life, faith and testimony. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free copy of the latest issue, featuring interviews, features, news reviews and more, then head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. My guest today is Stacey Morgan. On July the 20th, 2019, Stacey kissed her husband goodbye before he donned his spacesuit and headed to his waiting rocket. With an overwhelming mix of pride, excitement and terror, Stacy and her children held hands and watched the rocket ignite and lift off for a nine-month mission to the International Space Station. Stories about out of space remind us that God is so much bigger than we can ever imagine. But Stacy's story reminds us that God is at the same time very near, personal and always with us. Stacy told me, her story and how she chose hope in the face of fear. I currently live in Texas near Johnson Space Center because my husband is an astronaut, but we haven't always been this, uh, you know, we haven't always been an astronaut family. Um, my husband and I have been married for almost 22 years. And so when we first met, a long time ago. Uh, we were very young. We kind of grew up together, but we started as a, a military family. We are still a military family. And that very much kind of shaped uh, how our family views service and uh, risk and sacrifice, uh, both um, for our faith, for our country, um, you know, for humanity. And so we were, um, you know, serving in the military. That was actively our family lifestyle for a very long time until 2013, when my husband applied for and was accepted in uh, the new class of astronauts that they were hiring that year. And so we moved to Texas completely picked up our train and put it on a different set of tracks, but he is still um, active duty military. It is still obviously a, a high risk uh, service oriented and, and a lifestyle where the entire family really does serve. I mean, when you described him to begin with, my husband is an astronaut. I mean, it's kind of, wow. But of course, as you said, there was that journey up to that point, that, that right. relationship. So did you meet, were you, were you both, were your families both having that military background? Is that where you met or did you meet at school? We met when we were both cadets at West Point and um, my husband's family does have a military background. My family does not. So we kind of came there from two very different paths and then, you know, our paths intersected there. Um, but that was a great place to meet. You know, looking back, we see how those, um, you know, starting that way, starting our relationship, both of us in the military, it helped kind of set the stage of, of making sure we had this shared set of values, um, definitely for our faith, but also for, for what it what it really means to serve, not kind of this hollow, you know, kind of easy term that we throw around, but especially after 9-11, you know, the idea of service and risk and potential sacrifice and what it means for an entire family to serve completely shifted. And so um, that was a really important it was foundational to our relationship and kind of our, our life going forward, having that shared experience. Yeah. You mentioned that, that, that service and that sacrifice. And, and you talk about God within that. Have you always had a faith or was there a pivotal moment in which you came to faith? Well, we both grew up in the church. And so I would say when we, when we met and we got married, that was already something that was important to us. I think as we got older 
And as the world changed and um, we, you know, my husband started deploying and into combat zones. And then of course, certainly when we've got down here and we're, we're continuing to do kind of high risk things, you can't help but reflect on your faith and it becomes real or not. I mean, you really, if it's, if it is not truly your foundation and something that you cling to, then when times get tough, it will fall away. And so we've had to make this choice, you know, it's not a one and done kind of deal. It's something you have to continually commit to and, and trust God in and, and ask him to help you renew your faith and re-strengthen it because every day that you wake up, the world is trying to, you know, encourage you to let it go or tell you that it's not real or that you can't be count, you know, God can't be counted on. And so it's something you have to choose to have hope in um, anew every single day. And, and we've had the opportunity in our life to have some real um, high risk moments where you are forced to really say, okay, in this moment, where is my hope? Like, what is the foundation of my life? Because if my, uh, if my foundation of my life is, if my identity is found in being married to this person or, um, the financial security that comes with this job or, you know, um, not being, a, you know, having, having a, a partner, a spouse who is right here next to me. Well, when someone deploys, when someone goes to space, I mean, honestly, when someone just gets in their car and drives to work every day, that could be taken away from you. And so certainly in a launch countdown, when you're talking about a rocket launch, most people don't have a 10 second countdown to this moment <laughs> where they kind of uh, have to decide is my faith truly real to me? Or is it just something culturally that I'm kind of holding on to, whatever? Is this truly central in my life? And for me, um, I've had those opportunities with, with deployment, but certainly at that countdown, when you know in 10 seconds, um, either this moment is gonna be an incredible just moment for our family, or I'm gonna become a widow. Like those, it's kind of no middle ground in, in that moment. And you have to decide, okay, if my happiness, if my peace is dependent on this rocket launch being successful, what does that mean if it's not successful? And so you kind of have to make a decision there. And um, so to me, that was just another um, moment where I had to make a decision and, and my faith felt really tangible in a way that, you know, sometimes doesn't always feel that way on a day-to-day -day basis, unless you're kind of in one of these, these high stress, <laughs> real world faith application moments. Tell me about Drew's position within the military and the various deployments that you'd experienced before he, what would we say, had a job as an astronaut before he <laughs> right. falling? Yeah. Tell me, you know, what, where have you been and how had life been like prior to this very kind of momentous um, trip that he made? So we've always been involved in the um, special operations community. And so certainly as, um, as, as most service members have done over the last decade, there were multiple deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, different places in the world, kind of all part of those um, efforts. And so we, he, he had done multiple, we had experienced what it's like to kind of have a build up to a departure and then him be gone for months on end. And I would say one of the big differences between um, those combat deployments and these, this, or if you want to call it a space deployment when he went to the International Space Station, was the level of um, visibility in what he was doing. Certainly we were used to him going away from home, me being a single parent with children at home. But in combat deployments, you don't you don't see the moments of highest risk. You might hear about it. You might uh, turn on the news and realize something's going on, but you're not going to experience it real time. And so um, there's a little bit of separation between the experience and uh, you know what he's experiencing, what I was experiencing, because I would maybe hear about it secondhand after the fact on the news or from him later. In contrast, when he was in space, the moments of highest risk are launch, landing, and spacewalking, all of which are televised live, you know, streamed over the internet. And I'm watching it live as it's unfolding with my children and the rest of the world at the same time. So you know that if something goes poorly, 
you do not have the, um, you don't have the privilege of kind of processing that and experiencing it privately before sharing it with the world. And so uh, one of the things I I think I didn't fully appreciate till I experienced it myself was the level of added stress that public side of it brings to that moment, knowing, gosh, like this is stress, this is a stressful enough event as is, uh, and then add the fact that there are television cameras or there's, it's being live streamed and, and that I kind of, you kind of have to think about that too, in that moment of how would I react? What, what would happen? How would I manage this for the family, for the children, knowing that it would not be a private moment? Tell me about what happened when Drew applied to be an astronaut. Well, it's a very long process. And honestly, I certainly knew he was interested in space and things like that. But honestly, like who isn't, right? I mean, uh, we kind of joke like, yeah, well, I wanted to be a ballerina when I was a kid, just like you wanted to be an astronaut, but I kind of let that dream go a long time ago. Uh, But one day, you know, it was just a regular day. He came home from work in kind of an uncharacteristically giddy mood, which, and he's not really a giddy guy. So um, he was very excited. He was, he came right into the kitchen as I'm trying to make dinner. And he said, you know, you're not gonna believe this. I've just heard this huge news NASA is opening the window for, a, you know, for people to apply to be in this new class of astronauts. And I thought, like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> we, we have this life over here. This, this, we have planned this out. Uh, we have a multi-year plan here. Uh, we're, we were supposed to move to Germany in about a year. Uh, that was going to be amazing. We were, you know, I was going to, I was going to eat pretzels and learn German and enjoy, enjoy Europe. And I had all of these uh, fantasies and expectations for what my next five, 10 years of my life are going to look like. So I don't understand why you are telling me this. This seems completely disconnected. And uh, he said, well, I just, I just want to apply. The, the likelihood of being selected is extremely low, which is true. Um, so, so don't worry. He said, he said, don't worry. Like none of those plans are going to change the likelihood of this happening. Extremely low. And so I said, like, okay. And I went back to, you know, fine, if you want to apply. And it was kind of, a, it kind of became a, a running joke. Like, no matter what happens, you'll always be a NASA applicant. And that will be, that'll be so funny. This would be a funny story that we tell people, you know, tell, tell at Christmas around the, you know, with family for, for years, how, how you applied and got rejected. Except he didn't, you know, he kept making it through every gate. And until about a year later, uh, he got that fateful call that totally changed the direction um, of our lives. And we had to unravel everything that we had kind of set up for. An, we were literally supposed to be moving to Germany in a matter of weeks. It was a matter of, we were supposed to be putting our car uh, on the boat that would take it to Europe. And I said, Drew, we can't put this car on the boat <laughs> because if we're not there to meet it, we will never see this car again. So uh, we got to know what's going on. And literally within a matter of days from that, uh, we got the call. And so I had to completely untangle and then replan everything for a move to Texas and a, and a totally new way of doing life from that point out. What, what's Drew's speciality? Has he, has he got kind of any qualifications in kind of space or anything like that? Well, he is a physician. And so um, when they apply, they certainly apply in different categories. And so he fell into that category. Um, But all the astronauts are kind of cross-trained in everything. So once you get down here, your background um, kind of becomes less important as the training that they put you through once you get here. What I'm finding really interesting about, as you share this, Stacey, is your sacrifice in this because there is definitely you know there's a there's a calling and there's excitement in Drew for this possibility and you and and your children have to put aside all of your plans and follow what he wanted to do did you feel that at the time was that a hard decision to make it can be I mean I think this is something where our military background helped me uh, get used to this idea that at some point when when you know when you're in a marriage and one person has uh, a high profile or high stress job um, like being in the military or certainly like being an astronaut you know it's extremely hard like both people can't be kind of pulling a hundred percent or you, you go nowhere and it causes problems so at some point 
somebody has to sacrifice in order, you know, on behalf of the other person's um, career. And, uh, and that has been me. And it often is for the spouses of, of military service people, you know, um, astronaut spouses. Now, um, I think we are, as a, as a community, the most resilient and adaptable people. We make the most of um, every place that we land. Um, but there absolutely, there is absolutely a sacrifice in terms of um, having to restart with friendships and restart with careers. You know, so many of my military and astronaut spouse friends are professionals, doctors, lawyers, um, you know, business people, uh, teachers. I mean, there's they're the most incredibly accomplished group of people I know. And yeah, this idea of, of having to put that aside if you're in the military and having to move to different places or um, even down here, even though we do tend, once you get down here to Texas, you do tend to stay for a while. So you don't have the, the moving, but there is still, you still sometimes need to maintain a level of flexibility in what you're doing because your spouse's job is so unusual. And so, yeah, the, the sacrifice is real. There is real challenges in that. Um, requires um, some humility and um, and some real hard conversations about the, the 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 negotiation and the push and pull of of what that looks like in different seasons. Um, and but you know I've learned that um, kind of railing against the machine is not really going to help you. It's it's this is the lifestyle we've chosen, and it is it does involve sacrifice for the entire family, and that involves our ch our children too because. Even just for them, in both of these these lifestyles, um, their dad has gone a lot, and they've just come to accept that that's just how it is. And a lot of their um, attitude about it comes from watching me and seeing what my attitude will be about it. And and so I've always tried to say like, this is this is what it is to serve. You know, in whatever capacity, a police officer, a fireman, a military person, uh, you know, in any kind of government service. It often involves sacrifice and the entire family serves. And that's something I think that um, most people are aware of, but it's kind of nice to have it acknowledged every once in a while because it it is hard. It's the it's the tangible. A lot, often we think about the tangible sacrifices like, oh, you have to move a lot or um, or potentially, you know, you're in my case, my husband could die and I could become a widow. And that is definitely a very risky and potential sacrifice on my part, but the intangibles of just the stress that, you know, happens at certain seasons or the travel that takes uh, people away from their families. And yeah, so it is, it is a, the whole family really is involved. It's not really a career as much as it is a family lifestyle that you have to buy into. Yeah, I really, really can imagine that the way that you've described it. And I think that's interesting because we often think about service men or service women and the sacrifice they make. But as you're saying, it's the whole family that makes that sacrifice together. You all are in or it doesn't it doesn't work. So he gets uh, Drew finds himself on board with the training to be an astronaut and uh, you lead up to this moment in 2019, was it, that he, um, you go with your children to watch him kind of, what do we say, blast off? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, launch into outer space, yes. Blast off. Yeah, launch into outer space. And she said that was a, wow, I could really feel it when you described it before. It was a real, the, the, it was a marker, wasn't it? There was the before and there was the after. That's right. And because you know, I mean, it was, it, it could be a movie the way it plays out. I mean, my husband launched on a Soyuz rocket. That's a Russian rocket because in 2019, you know, the space shuttle had ended in 2011. And we here in the United States, we didn't start launching um, SpaceX crew dragon capsules till 2020. So there was about a 10 year gap there where the only way to get to and from International Space Station was on a Soyuz a Russian Soyuz rocket and the Russians launched their rockets from Kazakhstan. And so in order to go watch this 
uh, rocket launch, the kids and I, along with a handful of some family and friends like Drew's parents and his brothers, flew with us to Kazakhstan. And it is a very different uh, place than, say, coastal Florida, where we, you know, where you might remember seeing uh, space shuttle launches from and where you see launches of, of SpaceX uh, Dragon now. And so we're in this you know, it's, it, the, the light is getting dim as the sun is going down. We're in the middle of this field, which feels like in the middle of nowhere. There are all these space tourists who have flown in on within these tour buses from around the world who are here to, to watch this amazing event. And so it's always funny to see people who are who are so excited about this thing <laughs> that you're that is very intimate to you, but to them, you know, this is like a bucket list, like Super Bowl kind of event. You know, they cannot wait. And um, some of them are wearing t-shirts with my husband's face on it and the crew patches. I mean, it's, they're just so excited. I mean, this is just like a party and they're cheering and they're high-fiving. And then we're over here, the family members of the crew, kind of on the other end of the field. We're very quiet because we're nervous and we're scared. And, and there's no big countdown clock. It's literally just, you know, that the ground crew is going to light that rocket. In our case, at exactly, you know, 928, not a, not a minute earlier, not a second later, it's going to happen then. And and either way, if the rocket launch is successful or not, life is going to be different afterwards, just like you said. And it's it, you don't really know what life will be like e either way it goes, you know, even if it's successful, which, you know, thank God it was. You can't help but think about in the moment, like a million questions flipping through your brain. Like, you know, I'm about to be a single parent of four children, two teenagers, two tweens for nine months. Like, do I have what it takes. Like that, that's a lot of hormones. That's a lot of, a lot of drama uh, from kids. And that's a long time to be single parenting by myself. I've never done it that long with these kids. You know, is this going to, is our marriage going to suffer? What will the communication be like? What will, what will his life be like? Is, it, is he going to be okay? Um, is this going to have long-term effects on his health? And then what, if that happened, what would that mean for my life? Um, you know, is his relationship with our kids going to suffer? You just don't, you just don't know. What if, what if something happens while he's gone? You know, a kid gets really sick or, or someone, you know, a family member dies. There's, there's no coming home early. So there's a, just, it's all those unknowns that are really, really scary because you just, there's no way of knowing um, of what's going to come next. And so that's where you, you have, I felt like God was speaking to me in that moment. Like, okay, you're, you're feeling all these fears. This is normal. This is, this is, this is the human condition. We are naturally fearful creatures, but what are you going to, what's now you get to make a choice. Are you going to live in this, this mindset that is just reactionary to the world and, and afraid, or are you going to rely on me? And my hope and and your faith in me, which is which is not dependent on whatever happens around you, is not dependent on which way this rocket launch goes. It is not dependent on uh, how good of a parent you are, or or how strong your marriage is, or or you know what, or your attitude in that moment, in that moment at any given time. Like, you know, God says, "I'm unchanging. I'm not going anywhere." Um, you can rely on me and I promise to be with you no matter which way this launch goes and no matter what happens down the path, you know, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, over the course of the next nine months and forever. And so that was a really like a very, you know, there are, there are times in your life where you just feel like God is really close to you and is just really kind of pressing in close and in a way that maybe you don't feel when you're just like in the grocery store. And so, and to me, that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm hearing you. I feel you speaking to me in this moment and giving me this choice. And, and I, I can't, I can't not make a choice by doing nothing. I will choose fear. So instead I'm going to choose to have hope in a God who will be with me no matter what happens in the next 10 seconds. So Drew was away for nine months on the International Space Station. Tell me about life for you during that time. What was it like to be here on Earth knowing he's in space and how you began to comprehend that and, and what happened to you? There are definitely periods and moments that feel very surreal because Life is, of course, like any time when you have kids, 
it feels like life is moving at an extremely fast pace and you blink and a kid has outgrown another pair of pants because they've grown another six inches and relationships are shifting and there's school pressures and, and all kinds of things. And so on, it was a, an interesting uh, parallel because you've got life moving extremely quickly, constantly changing down here on earth. And then I'm talking to my husband on a pretty much a daily basis and life, you know, his routine is very structured. It's a very everyday kind of feels very similar. They don't have the cues of um, sun, you know, they, they have 16 sunrises and sunsets every day. You know, there's no change in weather. There's no wind, there's no rain, you know? So the, just their environment is very uh, static every day. And so often he felt like time was moving very slowly and yet down here, it felt like time was speeding up because you just have all these kids and all these changes. And, and of course, just the seasons and everything that we're used to. And so it was a, a difference in how we kind of felt the experience. 90% of my time is, is the, the, the stress of, of single parenting that any single parent person who's, you know, whether that's temporary or permanent can, can understand just, um, keeping the, keeping the boat afloat, right? What's for dinner? Who's getting kids off to school, getting to work, getting home, maintaining a house, maintaining a yard, all those kind of things that were now 100% on me as the only adult in the house. But then every once in a while, there'd be this surreal moment, like watching a spacewalk where I would go in to mission control and, and I'd sit there and, and, and watch, you know, my husband doing these, like, like this seems impossible. It seems like like you're watching a movie, like how can he, how can he be in space? Or um, about four times uh, the, the space station passed overhead and you see this, this, this looks like a star moving in a straight line, like a bright star. And it only, you only see it for maybe a minute as it passes overhead, it's moving very quickly. But I'd stand out in the yard and you see this passing overhead and you think like, is this, is this for real? Cause it's just this little dot of light, like a star but it's like my my husband is in that dot. So much is shallow these days. Pictures, but not words. Texts that seem impersonal. Tweets rather than conversation. It can leave us all feeling rather empty. At Premier Christianity, we go deeper to bring you a thought-provoking and credible mix of theological articles, biblical interpretation, interviews, debates, and trends. Premier Christianity, online, in print, in depth. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. You're listening to The Profile. Welcome to the second part of The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. In the first part of the programme, we heard about Stacey's husband's journey into space for a nine-month mission on the International Space Station. In this second part, we hear more about Stacey's own journey with God. But it's like my, my husband is in that dot. And because of the time difference, I knew that if I'm standing in my yard at night, then he's, he's asleep in a floating in a sleeping bag that is strapped to the wall. So it doesn't <laughs> float away. And, and it was just a weird, it's like trying to ponder infinity. Like, you know, it's true, but it, it just, your brain is just having a really hard time <laughs> wrapping itself around the idea that, that he's in there. You know, uh, we would do about, a, about once a week, we'd have a video chat with him and, and to see this guy that I've known for 20 years, you know, who just a few months ago were, you know, or a few weeks ago, even, you know, arguing about who's emptying the dishwasher or reminding him to take the trash out. And here he is literally doing somersaults in zero gravity and, and floating M&Ms into his mouth. <laughs> you, know? you just think like, what is, what is this life? I, this is so strange. And yet the call ends and it's back to the daily grind and who's who needs help with homework and what's for dinner. And so it is such that the astronaut family life is, is it's such a, a weird combination of the surreal, but also the mundane. Did you feel at all vulnerable and need others to kind of come around you during that time? Absolutely. I mean, definitely getting comfortable with um, vulnerability. That's not something I think most people do well. Certainly I'm same for me. 
Uh, I like to do things on my own. It seems faster. It seems easier. I don't want to inconvenience anyone. Uh, I want people to think I've got my act together and that I can handle it all. And um, I think in my mind, I knew you know, everybody knows that they should be open with their friends and, and ask for help and receive help when it's offered. But putting that into practice is not always easy. When Drew was gone for that length of time in that weird and just surreal season, I had no choice. I had to finally put these things I've known in my brain into my heart and put them into practice. And so, yes, surrounding myself with people because it is lonely. Um, there's not a, there's not a lot of people on the planet who can fully, um, appreciate the unique season I was in. And that's why, um, we often as other astronaut spouses, we get together and we, we like to hang out with each other because, um, there aren't very many people who understand even the most caring and wonderful friends and family, uh, they're never going to fully understand the experience because they're, they're not experiencing it in the same way you are. So it can be very isolating. It can be lonely, just like when any time you're you know, alone, the only parent in the house, it can be very lonely. I lost my companion and there were times I really was lonely and times when I had to make really hard parenting decisions or financial decisions or whatever. And you just think to yourself like, man, I just want another adult to kind of bounce this off of, because I don't like that my choice is the, like I get to be the 100% decision maker, which is both freeing, but also stressful because it's totally on your shoulders. And sometimes because of the time difference, he was, uh, the space station operates under Greenwich mean time. So for here in Texas, that meant he was always five or six hours ahead. So pretty much any time after 4 PM, my time, I can, I, you know, I'm, he's going to be asleep. So half of the day, <laughs> if something happens and I need to make a decision, like that's it. I'm the, I'm the only one. And so it is stressful and you do need people who you can trust to, to come alongside you and, um, and you can ask for help. And the, the friends who, who, who showed up without me having to ask, I mean, just incredible friends who offered to help with, with big things like, um, you know, big projects or things at that house that just, I needed another adult set of hands to, to lift something or move something. But also, uh, you know, my husband, my uh, son was learning how to drive, taking him out to drive the things that I just didn't have time for, or bringing me meals, or sometimes just, you know, sending me a text message or a card or showing up and saying, let me just hang out with you. Uh, no agenda, no, not trying to fix anything, just, just to spend time with you. Uh, invaluable. Absolutely. You, you could not, I could not have done it without them because it's, it, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and something that I think a lot of people now uh, are experienced, have experienced in the pandemic, how, how easy it is to isolate yourself, but how um, lonely and difficult life becomes when that happens. And so kind of overcoming our um, inertia and, and saying, okay, I am going to get out of my house. I am going to pick up the phone and call that friend. I am going to ask somebody for help. Or when someone offers it, I am going to say, thank you. And just receive it and let them, uh, let them pour into me in this season. Like, I think, I think this idea that in every season for every, for every giver, there must be a receiver. And in this season, I was the receiver and I needed to just accept that I'm far more comfortable being a giver. Um, but sometimes it's your turn to be, to be the one who receives the love and support and care. Um, and once you kind of get open to that, I found, you know, you, it's like the thing that you, you practice, it takes practice and you get more comfortable with it. And then after a while you think like, gosh, why was this, why was this so hard for me? Like, this should be something that I want all the time, not just in difficult seasons, but this, this kind of level of friendship and connection and, and support and love and my community and my friends, like, I should want this all the time. And I can, I can have this all the time. I don't have to be backed up against the wall to actually have this in my life all the time. I'm really thinking about Jesus and, and the disciples as you describe that, about finding your people, about being vulnerable, about accepting help. How did your faith change and develop over those nine months? Well, I think you hear God differently when you are in a season of hardship. I think um, 
there is an opportunity when you are in a, in a challenging season, the opportunity that you find there is that if you, instead of just trying to barrel through it on your own and just kind of struggle, if you take a moment to say like, God, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Like this is, this season is really hard. I think we, if we soften our hearts, he, he draws nearer to us in that season and we are more willing to, to allow him to draw closer and meet us where we are than say in seasons where everything feels like we are just killing it and everything's going great. And so to me, just a lot of these, uh, these little lessons and these things that I know God had taught me over the years um, that I knew I knew in my, my head, but I really had not put them all together in my heart. And that, that was really, I think one of the best um, gifts of this unique season was putting all these lessons that God had been trying to teach me uh, for 40 years into practice. And, um, and so all these, you know, like God saying like, Hey, I, I am here to comfort you. And, um, and that happens both through um, prayer and through reading about me in your Bible, but also I will bring real people to you. Like that there is a real, because you know, he knows that yes, we need comforting words, but we also need comforting hugs and we need someone to hold our hand. Like that's how we are created to need com- a companion. And, and, um, and so he, he does, he brought, he brings those people to us and, and really challenging every day. Like, okay, every morning I have to choose to rely on God. Like, and that isn't a one and done, like, oh, well, I made that decision 10 years ago. So I'm all good. Like every day now should just be easy. (laughs) I should just be able to, to just have 100% faith in God. And that's where I find my hope no matter what happens, but every day you get up is a challenge. And so every day you have to choose before you start your day almost uh, to say, okay, God, no matter what happens today, um, I choose to, 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 I choose your hope. And it's, it's not a, like an easy box check. I kind of describe it as like, it's almost like a blanket. You have to choose to pick up and wrap around yourself every morning. Like I'm going to wrap myself in this hope and your promises that you are here with me, no matter what the rest of this day, you know, whatever happens, whatever happens today, good or bad, I know you're here with me. And I certainly could not have been as open to um, accepting help. I wouldn't have um, been as open to hearing what, um, you know, what my friend, what, what his words through the mouths of my friends were telling me in this season, um, you know, without that faith, it would just would have been extremely difficult and it would not nearly have been like the meaningful season that it was for, for both me and my kids and all of my family. It's interesting that you describe that season at times as a season of hardship. And we wouldn't think that, would we? We would think from the outside looking in, wow, what an opportunity for your husband. How exciting. But I'm guessing it's what you had to hold together, that there was all of that. But with it was that fear. Would he land safely? Would that space will go okay you were always living on the edge and how how have you you've talked about God and and pressing into him but how do you live with that tension day to day being married to someone in the military being married to a national right how do you live with it I think the first step is coming to the understanding that life is can be both good and hard at the same time I think often we like to try to just make it black and white. Like, oh, well, my life right now is just hard or my life right now is awesome. And it's kind of like the social media kind of like, well, this, whatever, what face do I want to put on? You know, should I be in a pity party or am I just like having (laughs) just a party? And the reality is that life is both. I mean, it is that's that season and, and every season of my life, it's full of opportunities and challenges. And it's okay to say, uh, this was re- like, today is really hard, but at the same time, like I, li- you know, I am, I have a home and I have, I have food to eat and I have healthy children. Like that is like the fact that I just woke up this morning is a blessing. Like that's, that's a good thing, but my day can still be hard. 
you know, and, and you can live a, a great life and it still have hard moments. And that does not negate, like one feeling does not negate the other. And so I think the first step is saying, okay, I, like life is both and accepting that it's both because then now you can move forward saying, all right, like I can, knowing that there's both, I can manage both and I can accept both. So there's, you know, um, I, I think about how, like you said, some people assume like, well, every day in space must be um, amazing, right? They're just doing somersaults, like who it looks so fun. And, and it, that's true, but they also have really hard days. Just like, I think when my husband first deployed to combat, people assume that every uh, person, like every soldier cannot wait to get home. Like that must be the worst experience ever. And they are just counting counting the days till they can come home. And they certainly are, but they're also having a good time. Like they're also bonding with their teammates and it's an extremely meaningful and purposeful time and, um, and will be a touch point in their life for the rest of their life. And um, there's a camaraderie and a purposeful, like a purposeness to their life that is hard to find in other ways. And so it's not surprising that a lot of military people kind of um, look back at deployments as, um, you know, kind of like wistfully because there was a simplicity, there was a purpose, there was a mission and there was a camaraderie that maybe they don't have when they're back at home. And so, you know, even in a combat zone, hard, but also full of really good things and, and then kind of flipped on its head uh, here, you know, when you go to space and for the families back home, amazing, unique opportunities that certainly are, you know, not everyone gets to experience, but also really hard. So like, would we do it again? Absolutely. Was it also super challenging in one of the most challenging seasons of our marriage, of my parenting, of life? Absolutely. Both. Um, but it can be both. It doesn't, saying that it's hard doesn't mean we don't support the mission. Saying that it was challenging doesn't mean it wasn't also full of amazing opportunities. I love how you've explained that. That's that's really, really helpful. Really helpful for the times we find ourselves in now. I'm wondering, is there has there been a particular Bible verse or a story within the Bible that has anchored you through these difficult seasons where there have been good and bad, as you say? Yeah, well, my, my favorite verse of all time is, is Esther 4, 14. I, I love it so much. I have it actually tattooed on, on my wrist. So I guess it should be my, my favorite verse. Um, and the reason I love it is, I mean, I love that the story of Esther so much because it feels very real to me. Um, when you read the story, uh, you know, God is not an active, like it feels like, like it could be my life in terms of God is there. He's in the story. He's certainly speaking into people's life, but like it is for us today, he's not a, he's not a tangible character, like walking through the story. There's no pillars of fire. There's no burning bushes of, you know, with his audible voice, but he's clearly moving through the circumstances and presenting, you know, real people with real options. And that's how I feel, you know, that feels very real to me in my life. Like God is always here offering me options of how we're going to respond, whether it was there at the launch, like, okay, this, this rocket's about to launch. How are you going to respond in this moment? Are you going to cling to me or are you going to cling to your fears? And, um, and I feel like that, that idea has carried through, um, both that season and now, even in this weird season, we find ourselves in, in this pandemic, you know, the world is, is really just off kilter and there's a lot of scary things going on. And, um, people are very uncomfortable and afraid because a lot of the things that we had built our lives on, whether that was, uh, your job, the economy, a certain politician, certain freedoms you thought you had that now feel like they've been taken, like when those things went away or changed, uh, if that was what you built your life on, uh, things now feel upside down. And when people feel upside down and like they don't have a firm footing anymore, they get very afraid and they start lashing out. And that's the anger and the discomfort and um, just all of these, this angst that we feel kind of like globally right now, I think is because for most people, their feet 
that used to be, you know, they used to feel like they were on solid ground now feel like they just are tossed and they don't know, they don't know where to put their feet. And so this idea of, of choosing a God who is unchanging that um, choosing to hope in a God who has, is not, uh, does not change by the circumstances. He's not surprised by things that happen. Um, he is dependable. He, you know, he is, he is the only thing that we can cling to that will not change with whatever is happening in the world. And so um, I certainly was clinging to that during, <laughs> during his mission. And then little did I know that, you know, right at the end of his mission, Drew would come home at what we now know was kind of the, the ramp up uh, to the to the pandemic, um, and it has just been con, you know continuing to be my my lifeline. And so that verse in Esther four fourteen, it is where um, Esther has been given a choice, and uh, her uncle, you know, he, he says, you know, you need to do something, <laughs> and she had, but she has a choice, and that's that's what I love about that story is. And nobody's forced to do anything. They have a choice, which it feels like today. We all have a choice every day. And, um, and she hesitates. And I think that's how most of us are. We hesitate because we're like, oh, I don't know. Like in that moment, it's not so easy sometimes to just make the hard choice. And so this verse is, is her uncle's response when he senses that hesitation in her, that natural hesitation. And he says, you know, you've, who's to say you haven't been put here for, for right now, right here. This is, this is the moment God has placed you in this crossroads and you've got a choice. And, and so she, she kind of takes a moment and she makes her choice. And then she says, you know, the most, you know, boss words I've ever heard, which is, you know, if I perish, I perish. And I feel like that's kind of the attitude that um, God wants us to have kind of this, this it's, it's hopeful it, it's a it's a hope and a faith that God will carry her through to do what she needs to do, but it's it's the one hundred percent belief that even if it goes not the way she wants, she certainly doesn't want to die. <laughs> she wants you know things to play out the way she wants, but if it doesn't, she will trust that that's part of God's plan and God will enable her to do what must be done, or that she will, you know, she will be part of what God's plan is. And if she perishes, she perish, you know, she'll perish. And so um, coming out of the mission into this pandemic where everything feels upside down, I feel like, yeah, we're all given this choice. How are we going to respond? We've got a choice. Are we going to choose fear or are we going to choose hope? Every morning I'm going to, I'm going to force myself to choose hope. And sometimes, sometimes it does, it doesn't feel easy to pick it up because the fears are just so tangible. And just when you feel like you've got a grasp on the way the world is working, the next morning you wake up and everything has changed again. And so it is very easy to be scared and just live in that space, but to choose that hope and say, listen, God, just tell me, tell me the next step to take. And I saw this quote recently and I, and I love it. And it, it was talking about how we all want God to give us like uh, a map with like, a, like every single step we should take. And instead God gives us a compass and it, he just says, just keep walking North. <laughs> right. And it's like, but I want to know, I want to know the path, like, show me the path, show me the steps. I want to know like the next 10 steps. That's what I really want. And he's like, Oh, that would be, <laughs> well, I'm not giving you that. I'm, I'm giving you a compass and I just need you to head in the right direction. And so, you know, my prayer every day is like, God, help me choose hope. Help me head in the right direction. And if I perish, I perish, but, uh, but I'll, I'll perish knowing I was headed in the right direction and that I was going where you wanted me to go. And that takes a lot of guts. Um, you know, my prayer is like, give me the gutsy, the gutsy hope of Esther. You know, she is such a boss. She is so gutsy. Uh, she feels like such a modern woman in that, in that moment. And I love it. I hope I could be more like her, which is, why I've tat tattooed it on my wrist or I can look at it and remind myself of what gutsy hope really looks like. Well, when the opportunity came to write the book, I, I really, you know, I didn't certainly never anticipated that would happen, but when it did and I sat down and kind of started putting some words on paper, it was really, um, really kind of a, a, a neat moment to see like, wow, there really have been these threads of things that God has been teaching me for literally decades.
uh, that have carried through. And, um, and these are helpful, not just to me, but I think um, it, you can see them in these stories. And of course, I love reading other people's stories and um, stories just, I just learn a lot better from story than I do from, you know, preaching or someone trying to teach me something directly, like, I want to hear your story. And so I'm um, writing them all down. It was really exciting to see those threads and realize, you know, I think this could really speak to how everybody's feeling right now. Of course, when I was writing it, I didn't know we would still be in this pandemic, in this world situation. I kind of naively thought like, oh gosh, I, I hope some of these things still resonate. I had no idea that we would we would still be in it now, but um, it's been so great to have people um, read the book. You know, it's called The Astronaut's Wife. It's available wherever you buy books. Um, certainly um, shares kind of that inside uh, story uh, kind of behind the scenes of what it's like for an astronaut family, um, but pulls in these um, these stories from our experiences over the last 20 years, from deployments, from just regular family life, um, where God really stepped in and, and helped me learn what it really means to choose hope or to be, um, to find friends who I can be vulnerable with. And, um, and how not to stay in survival mode forever, which I think is also a real temptation right now, just, you know, getting down into the grind and never coming back up and, and how to communicate and not isolate ourselves. You know, all these things that I think um, certainly I put into practice during Drew's space mission, but I continue to put into practice now and I think would be helpful. Um, and I hope it encourages people to see they are not alone. Um, certainly aspects of my story are unique, but um, I hope they find it relatable to wherever they are in their life right now, um, because these struggles really are universal. And, um, and I think God has something to say about um, these very real human struggles that we're all experiencing right now. So if people want to buy the book, The Astronaut's Wife, available um, wherever they buy books, um, I appreciate their support. I hope they love it. That's all we've got time for on The Profile this week. You can join us again next week. I thought it would be really lovely to end today's programme with Stacy leading us in prayer. Lord, we pray for people of the world today who are feeling afraid, who are looking at the circumstances that they find themselves in, and it's just full of unknowns and danger, and they're not sure where to turn. and we pray that they will in that moment turn to you. And I pray for the mothers who are afraid, not just for themselves, but for their children that they are holding close to them. That fear that is so tangible, both their, for, for physical safety, but also for their family and their mental health and for what the future holds. So we pray that in their fear, that they would feel your peace, that they would feel your comfort and that they would take refuge in that no matter what circumstances they find themselves in. In your name, amen. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine. I'm Sam Howes and you have been listening to The Profile Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. There's loads more where that one came from. Over 200 interviews with different Christians from all walks of life available now on The Profile Podcast and new ones coming each and every week. If you have been enjoying these interviews, we would so appreciate it if you could take just five seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people to discover the show. So why not do that now? Give us a rating and a review and we'll see you next time.